This is the Made It in Music Podcast, show 109. Welcome to the podcast, where we bring you tools and resources to help you go full time in music and to stay in. The music business is a roller coaster ride, changing faster than any of us can pay attention to. We all need a competitive edge to stay ahead and to stay successful. What's working, what isn't, and what's coming. That's exactly what this show is all about. Back again with Full Circle Music, the Made It in Music podcast. What's up? This is Seth Mosley, host of the Made It in Music podcast, and we've got a good one for you today, Carrie Barlow. We're going to be talking about how hit songs start with crazy ideas. I love this episode talks about one of my musical heroes, Rick Rubin, that he had the chance to work with in his former band, Luna Halo. I totally geeked out about that. Also talks about what it's like to land a song on a Taylor Swift record and how that came about and how they ended up going to SNL and watching her perform that song. He talks about writing number one songs like American Honey, It Don't Hurt Like It Used To, and Sundays, all respectively from Lady Antebellum, Billy Currington, and Florida Georgia Line. Guys, Absolutely crushing it. So if you're interested in becoming a country or pop songwriter, this is a pretty good episode to start with. Uh, I learned an absolute ton, as I always do. And I love doing this podcast. It gets more fun every single episode. I hope you guys love it too. If you have any ideas or questions, uh, questions that I might be able to ask a upcoming guest, tweet us at Music. That's official FC music as in full circle music, or you can DM us on our Instagram again at official FC music. Always love feedback from you guys, our listeners. You're the ones who help make the show awesome. Uh, Head over to iTunes or wherever you uh, consume your podcasts, hit subscribe and uh, leave us a rating interview that helps people discover the show. And um, we're really, really grateful for you being with us for 109 episodes. Absolutely crazy. But best is yet to come. We've still got a great season ahead. So let's just dive right into the Carrie Barlow podcast. Carrie Barlow. Hey, man. Thanks for being on the show, man. Appreciate you. Thanks for having me, man. It's a little early, but... It is early. (laughs) Well, when when we texted back and forth about it, you're like, I can do it in the morning. I'm like, oh, I, I didn't... Like, I'm such a morning person. Yeah. So... It's because we have kids. We have kids. Yeah, exactly. That's true. Are you naturally a morning person or? No? Um, you know, I'd say the last like three to four years, the older I've gotten, I'll wake up earlier. I don't know. I don't know if that comes with the, the age, yeah. I guess, you yeah. know, with the gray hairs. I love, <laughs> yeah. that's true. I love getting up early and going to bed early. That's just my, my, my yeah. thing. Yeah. Not my 20s anymore. So, no. yeah. <laughs> Let's so. go all the way back to the beginning. What was the first dollar that you made in the music business? Oh, man. Um, well, probably songwriting. You know, it's funny. I ended up saving one of my first like ASCAP checks, and it was literally for like a dollar and forty seven cents. <laughs> I, I can't even tell you what it was. Um, there might have been. I, I mean, there, there's probably been some some moments where I've played guitar for someone and made made a dollar doing that. You know, um, I joined my brother's band when I was seventeen. So yeah, you know, and we would make some. Money, I, some is meaning very little, but yeah, uh, for yeah. for a lot of years, and and then it, it ended up getting better. But uh, yeah. yeah, 
So it, yeah, I can't I can't tell you like the exact moment. Yeah, but, yeah. yeah. Where where was that? Where'd you guys grow up at? So we grew up in uh, in North Carolina. Um, okay. All my family's in uh, Lenore and Boone, North Carolina, in the mountains, and uh, grew up in a very musical family. A, a lot of Southern gospel, a lot of preachers, a lot of. Uh, a lot of singing, a lot of a lot of hymns, you know, old school hymns, and uh, and uh, we used to, we used to sing, you know, get up in front of the church at like four and five years old and sing with my my mom and dad and my brothers and sister, and that's how we learned how to carry a tune and and to harmonize. And I love harmony. I mean, to this day, it's just I just think it's such a cool, you yeah. know, when it when you hear it right, it's just unbelievable, you know. So yeah. well, we were talking about it. You said your you two and a half year old already harmonizes, right? Dude, yeah, yeah. She <laughs> she can basically she can't harmonize yet, but she can she can stay on her lead and me and Hillary will harmonize with her. Yeah. Which is I mean, that's pretty crazy for a two and a half year old, you know. That's nuts. Which is kind of scary. We're like, oh no. <laughs> She's got the music bug already. No, it's it's cute though. So music obviously seventeen year old playing in your brother's band. Did did you have it sounds like you have a really musical family. Was it kind of like the thing where you just knew that's what you were gonna do? Or how, Man, how, how did it all kind of turn Honestly, into a I really you know being from North Carolina, I, you know, I had the the kid dream of I'm going to be a basketball star and play at the University of North Carolina. I mean, that's yeah. that's what every kid from North that's Carolina dreams. Yeah. But <laughs> you know, reality sets in, and you're like, okay, I'm not as tall as that. I'm not as athletic as that. So, um, but I just always have loved music, man. I mean, yeah. we've always had we had drums and trumpets and guitars and mandolins and mm. everything was always always at our house. And my brother Nathan being um, being like nine and a half, ten years older than me, he really paved the way for me musically, man. Like he, uh, you know, dove in at an early age. I mean, he was doing his own concerts at fourteen and fifteen years oh, old wow. at little <laughs> little Christian clubs in Lynchburg, yeah. Virginia, where that's where we lived at the time. We moved okay. from North Carolina, our family, to Lynchburg when my dad uh, had a church, and I was born in Lynchburg. Okay. Um, so yeah, my brother just was like, I mean, you know, the early influences of. Uh, you know Michael W. Smith and and Carmen and yeah. back in the back in those days and then he and then he uh, discovered Britpop eighties yeah yeah and the Cure and Depeche Mode took over so yeah <laughs> but I love it man so what, what was the journey between you you joining your brother's band and then where you're at today I mean you're uh, just absolutely crushing it in country music as a songwriter and really where a lot of people would love to be. Like, uh, man, I'm sure it was a long road. Getting man, there. Walk it, us through just yeah, the timeline there. Crazy road. Um, So 17, uh, the day after I graduated high school, literally, like literally the day after I walked across the stage, got my diploma, me and my mom got in a truck and we moved to Nashville. Yeah, which is crazy. Um, I knew my senior high school, um, my brother was like, dude, I want you to join the band. And I I literally would lock myself in my room and just play guitar. And I would learn either popular songs on the radio, classic rock songs, just to get better, you know, get my chops up and get, you know, yeah, just get better, you know. And and uh there was a guitar player that was leaving at the time that I was graduating. So it kind of the setup was like perfect, you know. Yeah. And um so Moved to town. Actually, my senior year, I ended up missing like weeks and weeks of school because I would go out to Nashville and yeah. um, start learning the songs, start rehearsing a little bit, and then I'd have to come home and go back to class, you know? Yeah, yeah. Um, but I couldn't wait to get out of there. Loved all my friends but yeah. and my teachers, but 
So you're yeah. mo- like, that's kind of crazy. I mean, your yeah, mom man. Packed you up and moved here. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. My parents ended up um, divorcing when I was like 12. So um, we're all still really tight. And my mom and dad are great friends and stuff. And um, so we, yeah, it was just music was just what I knew I wanted to do. And uh, we packed up and came here. It was awesome. My mom did that. And uh, she ended up working for the lieutenant governor downtown Nashville. And then I, two weeks after I joined Luna Halo, we were on tour in Europe. Wow. I was 17. (laughs) I mean, just graduated high school. I mean, I think I was just turning 18. Yeah. It was crazy, man. I mean, I went from, um, you know, in those days, Luna Halo had put out a record on Sparrow and it was very more of the Christian CCM thing. And uh, my brother's always been kind of an edgy guy, you know, and, and, uh, and always, and he's had his own things in life that, uh, you know, we've gone in different directions and stuff sure. and, and musically and, and personally and everything. So we, uh, so yeah, we, that, that I wasn't a part of the, of the Christian record. I was still, I mean, I was still in high school, you know, or whenever that album yeah, came yeah. out. Um, so when I joined, I feel like our, our sound, I think my brother would naturally say this. We ended up, it ended up getting a little bit heavier, yeah. uh, rock sounding. Like yeah. I, I was into, um, I mean, I love the Britpop stuff, but I also lo- had this side. I loved ACDC and Led Zeppelin and, you know, just big guitars, you know, just in your face. And yeah. But I also loved, you know, I grew up in the area, the era of like Snoop Dogg and Dr. Dre. And so I love pop music. I mean, I love just everything. I mean, everything that is popular, I yeah. love. And not popular. I love indie weird music too. But uh, yeah. so, yeah, join the band at 17. We toured for years, and and uh, it just got to the point where we were still doing some of the more Christian shows and stuff. But just got to a point where we were, uh, my brother ended up going through a divorce too, and we we just we just were writing songs that might have to do about heartbreak and and things that are just a general people yeah, yeah. could relate to. You yeah. know, some of it would be spiritual based, possibly, and uh, some of it would just be. Just yeah. whatever came out, you know, and uh, so we ended up doing doing a record and touring for years, and we just started playing clubs, man, from the ground up. I mean, no one knew who the heck we'd go to these little towns, pack up in a van and trailer, and just start from the smoky bars, wow, PBRs and cigarettes, you know, and playing <laughs> playing for nothing, you know, and wow. trying to scrape money for red roofs in red roof ends yeah. and things like that. And uh, dude, we started building a following in um in well, obviously Nashville, but those were the days where it wasn't really cool to be a rock man from Nashville. I mean, so we would go to Atlanta. Our drummer, Chris Coleman at the time, um, was from there. So he had a lot of friends that kind of started really digging our music and the crowds just got bigger and bigger and bigger. And we ended up selling out, you know, small, tiny clubs and they would mm. get bigger and bigger and the masquerade sizes and wow. and uh, uh, cotton club sizes and getting, you know, starting to be like, wow, this yeah. is starting to work in some pretty big cities, you know, and yeah. things like that. And then, and obviously for money wise, we wouldn't want to just, out, you know, drive out to California when you're like, oh wait, we got to, we got to have gas money to get back, you know? So we'd play the South. Obviously we'd go to North Carolina where we grew up and do great in Chapel Hill, Raleigh, Lincoln Theater, places like that. Um, so anyways, the songwriting stuff, me and Nathan were probably the key writers in our band and um, Chris and Aaron were, were great as well. Yeah, yeah. Um, but we were, we were probably, you know, would sit our sit at home and write these songs, and 
we ended up um when we ended up getting signed by uh by Rick Rubin and um we went through a lot of label showcases over the oh, through those years that were some of them were just horrible and like we would not like the, kill like the it performances and, or just yeah like, just where like hey you got this huge big wig from new york or la come to see you and you know there's moments where we'd be like we thought we killed it and just you wouldn't hear back so there's just a long how, how many of those do you think there were oh, like dude. before signing to or meeting i mean agreement? there's no telling i mean I, I i don't know the number but i mean probably 10 wow. i mean five to ten easy wow. Probably more like ten, you know. So Rick Rubin, I'm I'm geeking out a little bit over that, and I want to hear about that. How did, how did you guys connect with him? So a guy named Dino Paredes, who basically found bands like System of a Down, and who became to be a massive globally, you know, band that sell gazillions of records. Yeah. Um, found them. He worked for Rick for years and years, probably almost twenty years or whatever. Um, he had heard about us through. I guess the rock world and the label scenes and just the buzz. We started to get a buzz. We'd play South by Southwest and mm. and things were like starting yeah. to heat up, you know. Um, and uh, he flew to Nashville and then he would come to Atlanta and we would always, he would always take us out for like crazy nights. I mean, spend, you know, money on dinners and yeah. and wine and alcohol and we'd just be like, what, this is crazy, you know, we're eating like kings <laughs> and stuff and then we're like, we think we, he loves our stuff, you know? And yeah. basically that led to, we're going to play in front of Rick Rubin, basically at at the time where Velvet Revolver was rehearsing. Wow. So, dude, you talk about nervous, man. I yeah. mean, I remember we got our, we, we got out there and we we're like, we don't know if we're going to play half a song, five songs, however, we'll do whatever he asks us to do. You know, we get there, there's like a couch set up, they're waiting for him. He rolls up in a Bentley with his driver. <laughs> he gets out with his hair and just the whole thing. And we're just like, oh my gosh. I mean, this guy's a legend, you know? And It was like fully what you would imagine. Oh yeah. I mean, yeah. it's super cool. And the first meeting was very, very quick. I mean, yeah. it was a shake hand. Basically, we walked in. They gave us a look. Hit, hit you know, yeah. hit the count off, you know? Wow. So we were just about to puke. Yeah. Um, <laughs> yeah. I mean, it was just pretty nerve wracking because we just had this hopefully it do yeah. our thing and hopefully it go well. And Is it, was it, so it wasn't an actual show. It was just like you guys. Pl- I don't know. Right it was like you. total label people. It was him and probably no more than 10 people. Yeah. I mean, yeah. So, I mean, you got to turn on the energy and the rock vibes with, yeah. with 10 people in the room. Man, that, can, you that talk are, about, can you talk about that? Cause that's, that's something that a lot of people just absolutely, that's like their worst nightmare, like doing label showcases. I mean, it's not fun. Let's just be honest. I mean, for anybody that has to end up doing that, yeah, it's not fun. I don't think you can prepare. I guess you could prepare yourself and just try to do the best. But uh, if you overthink about it and get make yourself, yeah. you're like dizzy. <laughs> you yeah, know, yeah. it's like you just got to go in there and, and do the, do your best, man. And yeah. and uh, that's what we what we tried to do. And and yeah. we got to the point where. You know, there's a bunch of stories from Michael Jordan getting cut from like freshman year of basketball, and you know, we we heard a lot of no's. You know, it's finding that one person, whether you're a writer or a, a artist or a singer or whatever, that can just believe in you. And sometimes that takes ten years, fifteen years. There's no time. It could take six months. You could be on a show like The Voice, and it could happen like that. But yeah, there's there's you know, it's yeah, just finding that. That person, man. So he 
liked the showcase, I take it? I guess so, yeah, man. He liked it. And uh, we, they ended up signing us, man. And we ended up, uh, they, you know, we, uh, you know, a couple more weeks went on and I think Dino came to a couple more shows and they were like, we're signing you. And at the time, we, we got signed to American Recordings and Warner Brothers. So Warner was the the big, yeah. you know, backing. A, uh, American was, were like the A&R. And then, um, so we had the backing of Warner Brothers. And yeah. So that's when <clears throat> they were like, hey, pack your bags. You're coming out to stay in Burbank. They had these like two apartments. Me and my brother stayed in one. Chris and Aaron would stay in one, and, which was awesome. Um, and yeah, man, it was funny. They're called the Oakwood Apartments, and there was all these little child like actor kids in LA, <laughs> like like these like beautiful kids that are going to be on like the Disney, Disney movies. Yeah, or, Disney yeah. or Warner Brothers yeah. shows, or it was funny. And then there'd be like these dirty rock bands that are yeah. living in other other apartments and stuff. But so it was cool, weird. man. Yeah, it was weird. But every day we would load up and head to the studio for three months with uh, Neil Avron and Rick yeah. Rubin. Yeah. And Rick Rubin was next door producing the Dixie Chicks. So that was a pretty cool experience. And uh, Chad Smith from the Chili Peppers were playing drums. And wow. uh, and uh, Mike Campbell from Heartbreakers was playing guitar. So getting to rub shoulders with some of those guys. And the history of that studio, Sunset Sound, was mind-blowing. You know, so it was a cool experience, man. I mean... Yeah. What was that like? We, we've had... We've had uh, Neil on the show, and we work, still work with him a lot. What was it like working with Rick Rubin? Man, you know, well, I give Rick Rubin a lot of credit, credit, but I give a lot of credit to Neil Alron. Um, Rick was definitely the first believer in signing us and all that. And and one thing, the biggest thing Rick did was picking out the songs. We went in with like sixty, to, no exaggeration, to eighty songs. Wow, that he listened to every one of them and or like nope 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 yes yeah finally he got some yeses you know wow. way on down the line and while during pre-production for you know some of the timelines are probably not exactly right but yeah we were probably in you know three two to two to three weeks in a pre-production with neil we ended up writing two songs in pre-production that that him and Rick loved. Wow. So how crazy is that? Like we've had these years of our band to write these songs that would be our first, you know, mainstream label debut. And we write two songs in pre-production. Yeah. Pretty crazy, man. Um, yeah. Well, that and, that, and that's a great tie-in because the whole thing we're talking about today is that hit songs can start with crazy ideas. And not only crazy ideas, they can start with crazy situations like that. Yeah, man. I mean, yeah. I mean, the fact, if you would have told me that on stage while pre-production, we would be jamming, just like probably getting sounds up. And then all of a sudden we're writing these melodies and lyrics and it becomes on a, you know, they become on our record, you know? Yeah, yeah. And uh, yeah, so, I mean, you just never know. I mean, f forwarding to some of the, the country stuff, um, I mean, I, there's been songs that I've had that have had success like, we've gotten the title from a, from a whiskey bottle that's yeah. sitting like on a coffee table or something. And it's like, I mean, who would have ever thought, you know, just like things like that, where yeah. sometimes the titles are, are, are things in conversations or something that's right in front of you. And, and it's sometimes it's not this like, Oh my gosh, I had this dream or like, you right. know, sometimes it's the most <laughs> simple things and yeah. just turn it into a, to a commercial song the best as you can, you know? Like, yeah. 
So obviously the Luna Halo thing kind of ran its course, did, did the record. Yeah, um, we obviously didn't go on to sell millions of records, but man, what a, some of the best years of my life. I mean, just, uh, I mean, my college years were, I didn't go yeah. to college, you know? It that was, was spent, college. Yeah, it was yeah. spent in, in a rock band. So what what a cool experience. I mean, I definitely lived and saw a lot, but, uh, but uh, just, man, got to tour with bands like Velvet Revolver and, uh, Hoop and Stay and Collective Soul back in those days and uh, yeah. a lot of other cool things. But um, What was the journey between that and getting your break into country music? Well, I owe a lot of credit to Mr. Toby Mac. Uh, man, he gave me my first publishing deal. So while I was writing songs for Luna Halo, I have always had this like this passion of just, I've loved all genres of music and just songwriting in general whether it's just coming up with melodies and chords and and or lyrics or titles or um that doesn't necessarily sound like our band but sounds like it possibly could work for somebody it's always had that desire to what does that mean you know and at the time i didn't really know what publishing you know 20 years old publishing deal was and uh so, you know, my brother had known, I'd known some of these guys like Toby and Michael and Kevin and other other guys in, in the Christian music scene for years. But as I started getting older and they heard about my guitar playing and stuff, they would ask me to come play guitar on their records and stuff. And that led to a publishing deal with Toby for for three years. And I ended up having, you know, a lot of success with him, and uh, yeah. which was awesome. And, and some other Christian artists, um, but I also, I wanted to see what else was out there. Like, I, I mean, I totally love the, the CCM scene and still totally respect it and, and uh, honor it and everything. But uh, I, uh, I've i always loved country. You know, being from North Carolina, I was raised very, I got a lot of country yeah. influence in my family. And, yeah. uh, and, um, and, you know, as country music started to take a shift to be more um, pop-leaning and more, melodic maybe i mean i love all the classic stuff i remember my grandpa listening to you know hank and and merle haggard and all that stuff as a kid and even my dad at times but um i which i I love but um i love commercial and just melodic things so i don't know like i i was with i was with emac which is through toby for three years and then um i just took a risk to see if I could get signed off Music Row, you know? And I was like, maybe not. But honestly, went and met through a lot with a lot of publishers and and uh, heard a lot of, oh, this is cool, but not really our fit. And and this is still at the beginning of the kind of leaning more towards pop stuff. Changing so what, what kind of, I mean, had uh, you been working on some pop stuff during that time that you were like taking around to publishers and playing for I them? mean, not really, man. I, I played them, all the Luna Halo songs. I said, look, here's, Here's what I do naturally. Yeah. It's Luna Halo. Here's the Christian stuff I've done with Toby and other Christian artists. Here's maybe just some random songs that that are maybe pop rock or or this or that. Um, so I didn't roll in there with like, hey, here's ten country songs that you could pitch to Garth Brooks <laughs> or whoever. It was definitely not like that, yeah. you know. I think Bob Doyle and Jesse Frazier, I think they heard something in my music um, from what they said about just the melodies and, and guitar hooks and, and things I brought to the table that intrigued them to see if I could bring what I do naturally to a more country fit yeah. with some with maybe somebody who is more country leaning than me, um, musically speaking. And um man, it, it ended up it ended up working out, man. It's a blessing. My I had my first um 
I ended up signing with Major Bob. Um, and golly, what year was that? I'm so bad at remembering the years, but uh, maybe, maybe 2003 or four. Okay. Maybe somewhere around in there, five, maybe. Yeah. I don't know. I'm bad about that, but um, I was there for 10 years. Yeah. So pretty crazy, man. It could have been more like 2005 ish, but uh, what was your first like country cut? So you even remember what that I do, and it's a pretty bizarre story. Um, so Scott Borchetta, this is we're winding a little bit back to Luna Halo. He was a big Luna Halo fan. Scott Borchetta, way before Taylor Swift, way before Big Machine. Um, he was working at DreamWorks at the time. Um, he's a rock cat, man. He loves rock music. He would be coming out to our shows, and I, yeah, I'm glad I brought him up because we owe a lot to him as well. He, um, he ended up getting us money from DreamWorks in LA to do a four-song demo. So we ended up getting like twenty-five dollars or $30,000. And we went in with one of our like local heroes in Nashville named Matt Mahaffey, yep. who had this band out of Murfreesboro called Self, Self yeah. which we were obsessed yeah. with. When I heard that that uh, His Subliminal Plastic Motives record, yeah, yeah, me and my brother just lost our minds. And yeah, my brother was a big fan. And then I learned who Matt was and just the stuff he's, he had done. And he produced four of our our songs that we wow. ended up getting us signed with Rick too. So wow. forgot about that aspect when yeah, I was yeah. talking about all that. But so Scott was just a big fan, man. He was a big fan. He would come to our shows. My brother ended up getting signed um, to Still Working Music, which was Barbara Orbison, yeah. who was married to Roy. Um, so he was there for five years and she was a huge player in Luna Halo and just our songwriting in general. Um, so forward to your, your question, um, after we made the Luna Halo record that was on American and um, and Columbia, our record ended up coming out on Columbia. So, of course, another yeah. thing that was not in the, what we didn't think was to happen. Yeah, curveball thrown. Yeah. And music, surprise, surprise. But uh, right. Rick left <laughs> Warner Brothers and took American recordings to Columbia, okay. which was through Sony. And our record came out there. Okay. So, anyways. Um, yeah, I just decided. <laughs> that's note. a good... That's, I'm glad you brought that up, though, because music is often not like, here's the five steps to start. Oh my it's, gosh. It's, it's, well, we'll try this and then that will go this way. And then it's, it's, ne- it's never a straight line. Dude. Amen to that. I mean, if there was a manual that I could tell my talented friends or, or yeah. people that we work with, like, this is what you do or a formula. Unfortunately, man, we're all on our own paths and, and yeah. it can be a struggle at times. And if you just stick with it, man, I mean, it, it's hard. I mean, there's moments where we all wanted to pack up and head back home and, and just get a job at Home Depot or wherever, which is, yeah. I'm nothing wrong with that. I'm just saying, sure. quitting music, you know? Yeah. And because it, I mean, it's hard, man, to make money in this business. You got to, you got to stick with it, you know? Yeah. And uh, anyways. Um, I sidetracked you a little bit. What, what was that no, yeah. first country cut after? Yeah. So getting the record came out. Um, we ended up, a song called Untouchable that ended up being our single um, that we made a video and all that. Scott Borchetta, going back to him, he gave our record to Taylor Swift. And this was long after Big Machine was already rocking. But she was, she had had the country success. She was still doing the country thing. And um, so her album Fearless came out. Well, they decided to like repackage it and put three or four new songs on it. Um, She ended up cutting our song Untouchable. Wow. Yeah, which is crazy, man. And um, Scott gave her that that album. And basically, there was some kind of like 
AOL uh, acoustic thing that she had to do, uh, and and she had to pick a cover. So of all the covers in the universe, better songs than ours, she chose our song. I mean, wow. we were floored, man. I mean, it was like this young girl that is blowing up all not only in the con- country genre, but worldwide. People are these young kids, and people are relating yeah. to. She did our song. It ended up being it didn't end up being a single, but. It got a lot of attention to our band. All of a sudden, yeah. wait, who's Luna Halo? For people that didn't know who we were, yeah. which was millions of people. Right. But, but um, so that was a cool moment, man. She ended up, um, she did it on SNL. So it's on Saturday Night Live. And that moment, I remember me and my brother and some of our, our friends and girlfriends at the time and stuff got together. And we were just like, oh my gosh, this is crazy. This is you crazy. Know? <laughs> yeah. And, and she ended up putting, uh, uh, they ended up putting it on the repackaged uh, Fearless yeah. album and I think the album sold six million. And um so that was my first country cut. So I, I was coming into Major Bob with hey I got a Taylor Swift cut. <laughs> like well, what the heck? You know, I have no I fell in our laps. So that was wow. There's thing that's another thing in music, man. You just there are things that can happen that aren't planned and 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 that can be just a blessing out of nowhere, you know? And yeah. It's pretty cool, man. That was a huge moment. And you know, having that behind our belt was cool, you know, and uh yeah. Even if it wasn't planned, it, it it was a cool thing, and and then uh, from there, man, just just trying to build off that and and just write commercial music, and man, there was hundreds of songs that didn't go anywhere, and then every down then you I would get you know maybe a smaller cut here and there or a, a thing that would land in a yeah. TV show or something small, and then I ended up where I where I met my future lady. Um, on a songwriting retreat, a guy named Shane Stevens, who's a dear friend of me and Hillary's, he introduced me and Hillary. Hmm. And Shane was at Major Bob at the time as well. We would write together a bunch. And he was like, dude, I want to introduce you to Hillary Lindsay and we need to go write. So obviously I knew who Hillary's name was and I just, I never written with her, but I knew she was crazy talented. And um, we, we had gotten together and um, just written some songs at her house a house that I had ended up moving into years yeah. later, which was crazy. But, uh, <laughs> but yeah, we wrote our first song right there at the fireplace where she wrote like Jesus Take the Will and like songs like that. And uh, That's crazy. so we, I remember, you know, we went on this trip to Gatlinburg. We would go to Gatlinburg and rent a little cabin and just old school bring our, bring our, uh, you know, pen and paper and our, and our acoustic. We'd bring like little, little drums to drum yeah. on for rhythms. And like, I mean, this is before you're like pro tools and awesome. all that and the uh, recorders. And I think we were, we'd have our laptops and stuff too, but uh, for like garage band record yeah. or whatever. And uh, we ended up on one of the first trips um, writing American honey. Wow. That was my first uh, country. Number one song that uh, for lady Annabellum. And, you know, it was one of those songs. We ended up writing, probably three or four songs on that retreat. It was like a two or three day thing. And it was fun, man. We'd get a bunch of wine, a bunch of snacks and food. And I remember we wrote that song. It was snowing outside. And uh, well, it was, was just, that, and you, you were saying that just literally came off the whiskey bottle, right? Just Yeah. So it. that's a funny story. We, uh, before we went to the cabin, we, uh, we were like, well, we got to go get some snacks and maybe some wine or some booze or food and whatever, you know? Um, and it was cold, so I was like, I just like to sip on some bourbon in the, in the wintertime a little bit. And um, 
the, that was after Wild Wild Turkey had come out with the bottle of American honey, and I'd heard about it. I don't even think I I might have had it once before, and I told yeah. Hillary and Shane, I was like, "Y'all got to try this." I'm like, "You could like heat it up in the microwave, and it almost tastes like a, <laughs> like a hot toddy or something," you know. So basically, I think one of us grabbed the bottle that was like probably on the kitchen counter and took it to the coffee table around the fireplace where we were just kind of like you know on our knees writing, yeah, with acoustic guitars and stuff, and and uh. Dude, it just, I don't even know who it was. It might have been Shane said, that would be an amazing song title. Wow. And we had no idea, you know, where it would, you know, what it was going to be about. Um, Hillary, just brilliant, man. Like, I think, you know, just, I started playing the guitar riff. And man, it just started happening, you know. Wow. I mean, the melody started flying and... uh and it ended up being just about the nostalgia of just going back to your your childhood and very some southern imagery in there and and uh, yeah. and man, I got to give props to Mike Doyle, Bob's son. He, he worked at Major Bob, still does, but he uh, he walked the song into um, to Lady A as they're in the studio. Wow. Like that, that's kind of an old school approach. Yeah, I mean, yeah. These days, everything's so you know email driven or yeah. send the MP3 here or text an MP3. He walked a CD with American Honey. This is this isn't. I mean, that long ago, two thousand, probably two thousand eight. Yeah. You know, he walked it in and was like, "I, I got something. You guys got to hear." Wow. And um, threw it in the threw it in the the CD player and in this giant studio. Um, and dude, yeah, they yeah. Charles just flipped out. It was like, wow. oh my gosh, and. Yeah, man. So, and that was that was that ended up being on the Need You Now yeah. record, right? And it was right. It was a single after Need You Now. So the setup of Need You Now being this worldwide hit yeah. to follow up with our song was that was a big deal. So that was the first. Sorry, that was long winded. No, it, yeah. it was, it's been it's been off to the races since then. And I we could we could chat about your country hits all day long. Yeah, I know. I know. You've probably got a, a session to get to and a hit to write, so uh, hopefully, yeah. I'm, I'm gonna get through our, our full circle five, which are our last five questions. So yeah, man. What is your favorite book or record oh. that you most commonly recommend to people? Okay, I will say this: I'm I'm actually not a great book reader. I okay. I think a little bit of is like ADD moment. Like I just I I can't find myself sitting down. I like watching documentaries and movies. I'm a visual guy, you know. Okay, and, so but, but well, I will say this. Three or four years ago, I read The Shack. Okay. And me and Hillary were on vacation in like Cabo or something. And I'm like, I am going to read a book from front to back if I if it's the last thing I do. I'm like, I'm in this beautiful place. Yeah. Me and Hillary, it's like beautiful. The sun's out by this pool. Dude, I read it. And um, wow. man, I was really intrigued, man. It was, it was such a cool way to portray... Uh, God, how you know, even saying the name Papa and, and right, yeah, I don't know. And this is way before the I knew they were doing a movie. You know, yeah. it might have been more than four years ago. This might have been five or six years ago. Um, yeah. I just that book's always stayed with me. You know, as far as really enjoying it and uh, just the spiritual journey to faith that that character Mac went yeah. through, and and the cabin being the symbol of it, and then obviously the 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 horror of yeah. his daughter getting taken away was was. Pretty. Yeah. I did not know that was going to be happening. Like the first couple pages, right. but uh, I don't know, man. I, I really enjoyed that, and I think I had told a couple friends, like, dude, you got to read this book. And yeah. then, and then, you know, 
forward to them making the movie about yeah. it. But yeah, I really enjoyed that book. It's a great recommendation. I, I love it too, man. Yeah, man. Um, let's talk about failure. Failure can be a great thing if it changes your perspective or the way you behave or um, maybe even your career path. In that sense, was there a favorite failure that you had that oh my you gosh. can identify that you're like, that was the that was the turning point for me? Yeah, I mean, honestly, like, if our, it's hard because it kind of almost hurts to say it, but like, if our band had blown up to be the next killers, I wouldn't have met Hillary, you know, and I, and I wouldn't have dove into the songwriting thing like I did. I mean, we were, everybody has always said like, you guys were this close and everybody's like, oh, what a, what amazing album you guys made. But, and when, although we did get to do some incredible things and play massive shows and, and that, you know, we never went on to be the next, you know, we didn't yeah. get to be as the Kings of Leon, you know, yeah. and, and love those guys. But, um, you know, but if, if that had happened, where would I end up? You know, where would I, where would my life end up? I wouldn't have my, you know, Hillary, like I said, and my little baby girl. I mean, who knows? Who knows? You know, and I get, you know, God has control of our lives and it's like, I never would have thought, you know, at 17, I would be writing, you know, commercial country yeah. music and having some success. And yeah. so, yeah, so I'd, I'd have to say like, just a failure of of what looked like it was about to happen and it did happen to some degree, but ultimately yeah. didn't take off. Yeah. You know, if it wasn't for that, then I wouldn't be where I am now. So, yeah. Yeah. That's, that's good. It's good perspective. So before you dove fully in, like, was there a period where you were doing like side hustles or anything just to kind of oh, bro, like, absolutely, man. I mean, I was guitaring myself out. Yeah. I mean, I was just like anything. I mean, especially in the early, early days. I mean, even while in Luna Halo, um, maybe before the publishing deal, you know, let me come play, give me a hundred dollars. I'll come play on your demo or like, yeah. you know, doing a lot of that stuff. I mean, just playing shows for, you know, some up and coming artists and, you know, yeah. like, like, like we all have to do whatever, whatever that, whether you're singing or playing yeah. an instrument or. So in that season, what was the number one thing that kind of held you back from being able to just go full, full on into it? Um, well, probably just like financially, I guess. Yeah. I mean, you know, just like in those days, I refused to get another job. I mean, I was pretty hard headed. I mean, my dad helped me out a lot. I mean, Probably a lot of times when he didn't even have the money, he would send me $100 here and there. And I would, you know, be living with four or five guys and, you know, crappy little house, but fun times, man. I mean, I go back to, I lived on Love Circle with some other musician guys. Yeah. Dude, what a great time. We were all on the it's struggle awesome. train. Cars barely ran. <laughs> we were eating beanie weenies and Taco Bell and drinking PBR and life was great, you know? Yeah. And we didn't know any better. It's like, you know, when you're, when you're, so I think the struggle, the struggle is a part of the story, man. Yeah. You know, and the failures and the nose and yeah. so yeah, I think I think, you know, you dive in when you can, you know, and, and when it makes sense. And yeah, you know, finance music is it is a financial burden at times, you know, when you're starting out. And if you can't, you know, you feel like sometimes two steps what is it, you know, three steps forward, you got you go backwards and you yeah. you know, it's a constant roller coaster. I mean, to this day there's it's a roller coaster ride, you know. Yeah. You find out you have a single, and then it tanks, or you might have this or that. You know, yeah. there's still there's still failures. 
Yeah. So what is something that's working for you right now? Um, man, I would say, so Jesse Frazier left Major Bob and, and um, started a little JV of um, Rock Nation, which is Jay-Z's um, company. And it's called Rhythm House Music. And um, man, I respect and love Bob and all the years at um, at Major Bob. But uh, Jesse is so just such a forward thinker and 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 modern. And we love pop music. We love everything from hip hop to rock to you know Christian music and all in between bluegrass, southern guy. You know, so we're just always thinking of creative ways of 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 moving forward, whatever that looks like. And um, so I think just you know, whether it's starting to work, I think it's just building on 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 maybe some momentum. And um, yeah. like I said, it's there's some months that I'm like, oh man, I'm killing it. And then there's other months where you're like, ah, come on, something happened here, you know? Yeah, yeah. But you know, music's riding the wave, man. I mean, it goes it goes up and down. And uh, I mean, I, I just got the the next uh, Little Big Town single. So oh, dude, congrats. Thank you, man. That's and awesome. um, What's that song called? It's called Summer Fever. Nice. So it's just a total no-brainer summer jam Kind of has an '80s influence. Did that one but, uh, have a, a crazy idea that that came from? Or man, it? honestly, it really didn't. We were on. We were. Um, it was a Rock Nation Rhythm House retreat, and a lot of the Rock Nation writers from LA and and England and other cities came all to Nashville. And Rhythm House, our office was like the hub, and uh, we ended up trying to pull as many writer friends and uh, and artist friends into the mix. And we ended up getting to write, you know, Billy Carrington came in and wrote. Um, Karen Fairchild from Little Big Town wrote with us that particular day. And a guy named Sam Romans, who is, a, he's from England, great artist, writer. And uh, yeah, so we ended up, Jesse actually had this track pretty much yeah. built up. Yeah. So we came in and he had this groovy, like, 70s 80s vibe it just felt summery beachy to us man and and um that was just one of those things we just we just wrote it in jesse's studio that day yeah Yeah. there was no it it was just the feel we just had this feeling of like the summer and actually you know what it what we wrote that a year ago uh late august so almost a year ago so it was still summer and hot outside and yeah maybe we were all wishing we were at the beach right so i love it man yeah man so Last question. If you woke up tomorrow morning and all of this stuff disappeared and the phone stopped ringing and you stopped getting these cuts and you had to start all <laughs> over that again. Happen. Yeah, yeah, I hope that, hope that <laughs> yeah. did not happen. For all of us. Hypothetically, yeah. yeah. if it did, uh, and you had to start from square one, but you still have all the experiences and knowledge and relationships, you could do anything you want. What would you do? Man, honestly, I would do something in the outdoors. Okay. I love fishing and being outside and hunting and, and that whole thing. And I uh, did some of it growing up. And uh, as I've been in Nashville for, gosh, since 2000, I've done a lot of it. You know, I've traveled a lot to Montana and seen some of these beautiful states. And man, just being outside, and, and it's not even the, the like, hey, let's go hunting and shoot something. It's not even that. It's just <laughs> being outside, man. Yeah. I love fishing. And um, I don't know. I don't know what it would look like necessarily, but yeah. Just enjoying the outdoors, you know, some yeah. some way. I would I would go down that lane. Yeah, I love it, man. Yeah. Well, thanks for uh, being here with us today. Is there anything you're working on that you're pumped to share? Man, not other than just the everyday or trying to write the next the next song, man. Yeah, yeah that's pretty much it. It's great. So, how can people find you? Social media. All, all yeah, I'm on uh, um, Instagram, just Carrie Barlow, and Twitter. I think you know 
not that creative with the names. It's pretty much just Carrie Barlow all the way around. So Facebook. I love it. Well, so. Yeah, well, man. Thanks for being on the Made It Music Thanks podcast. so much for having me, man. It was a lot of fun. Thanks, bro. Hi, this is Seth Mosley, and you've been with us on the Made It in Music podcast. Thanks for sticking around. Next episode features... That's Henry Seeley of The Belonging, pastor, songwriter, worship leader, Grammy-winning mixer, and producer. The Belonging Co. record has gone out independently and has a total of 20 million streams on Spotify alone in the past year. So he talks about his work with uh, The Belonging and how they've gotten to where they're at. And he talks about becoming a Grammy-winning mix engineer on the side as well. It's a really, really important episode. Do not want you to miss that. Again, tweet us on Twitter at Official FC Music and DM us on our Instagram at Official FC Music. We'll see you on the next episode. This show is produced by the Full Circle Music Company with editing help from Jordan Salamone.